Peter Thomas Fornatal here. We at In The Money Media are so happy to be partnering with Maggie Wolfendale on this new podcast series. On these shows, Maggie is telling the story of the horses through the voices of the people who love them and whose lives have been changed by them. Best of all, they're being produced to benefit our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, whose mission of saving lives, both human and equine, is so important to Maggie and so important to us at the network. To make a gift to support this show and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, go to trfinc.org slash offtrack. That's trfinc.org slash offtrack. The next voice you hear will be Maggie Wolfendale. Bay Gelding, full March 18, 2004, in Florida. By Trippy, out of Avert Your Eyes, by North Pole. 42 starts, 9 wins, 9 seconds, 3 thirds. Earnings, $111,228. Jockey Club name, What a Trippy. This is his story off track as told by his owner and best friend, Jessica Paquette. to be joined by Jessica Paquette, formerly Vice President of Communications at Suffolk Downs and their on-air handicapper, and currently the Director of Operations at Trackus, and doing a little moonlighting as the on-air handicapper for Sam Houston during their race meet. But Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about what a trippy. Thanks for having me. I'm sure people wish I'd stop talking about him, but I've just had so much fun with him over the years. It's uh, it's really fun to get to have the chance to do this. Well, if you don't follow her on Twitter, then you're in the dark, but most of you do. So uh, What a Trippy does have a strong Twitter presence uh, and on your Instagram as well. But first, I want to talk to you and for you to kind of lay the groundwork of how this relationship with you and AK the Bad Horse started. Where did you start your love affair and your passion for horses and racing? Give us the how, when, why, where um, of your life in this sport. So for me, I didn't come from a horsey background at all. I kind of grew up in a city and we didn't really have a lot of means. So my riding lessons were once a week at best, or if I could do stalls or something like that. I fell in love with racing at an early age. Uh, It seemed like a much more approachable way to get into horses for me than the show world at that point. And there's nothing I've ever loved more. I had the great opportunity to get involved with Kids to the Cup when I was a weird horse crazy teenager. And that opened kind of every door for me as a professional. So I'm forever grateful to Trudy McCaffrey and John DeSantis for that. Um, Yeah, I'm just the weird horse girl that never grew up. Um, Still am. That's all all I've ever cared about. 
And your career at Suffolk, I mean, that's where I kind of first knew of you. How did that all come to fruition? So I started out interning with Lynn Snearson at Rockingham Park when I was a uh, maybe 19, 20. And then I got an internship at Suffolk and then I never left. Um, T.D. Thornton, Chip Tuttle, uh, they've just, you know, been wonderful mentors to me as both like a professional and a human. Uh, and I had the time of my life at Suffolk. There are I look back at those 13 years as some of the most charmed of my life, getting to do everything beyond what I dreamed I could do as a kid. And that's where you met uh, What a Trippy. Where was it in the paddock? How did he catch your eye? So it was one of those rainy, miserable days at the racetrack. And you know, you know that kind where you're standing outside in the paddock doing the commentary and just soaking wet. And it was it was not a pleasant day. And there was a maiden special weight. So I was kind of excited about that because that always, you know, you never knew what you were going to see. And then I see this little bay who was super growthy and I mean, not really putting on his putting his best foot forward on his first start. He's walking down the track trying to either throw himself on the ground or decapitate his groom, trying to really alternating between which bad behavior he was doing. And then he got in the paddock and he was no better. Um, I mean, two people to saddle him, uh, a lot of shenanigans. And I don't know what is wrong with me that I looked at that horse and went, that's the one. That's the one I need. That's it. That's that's it. Is it just because you like a challenge? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't, which is the funny, the funny thing. And he physically, he's not even my type. I've, um, you know, he was just kind of a little bay, not anything that would catch anyone's eye by any means, but I was just hooked. So the next day I went to the barn and went with carrots to meet him. And he was the only horse in the barn with the traffic cone in front of his stall. And that started our long, our long trajectory of me bribing him into liking me with snacks. And for those that don't know, the traffic cone in front of a horse's stall is historically used at the track on the backside to signify a horse who can be a bad actor, might jump out of his stall and try to take a nip out of you. <laughs> so yeah, he sure, that, that was, that was his, one of his games for sure. Uh, well, looking at his race record, despite those shenanigans in that first start, he managed to finish second at 14 to one. And then he came back with a, with a big win in his second start. So he had a auspicious start to his career. He was really, that first season, he was New England's champion three-year-old, actually. I was uh, president of the Turf Riders at the time, so there may have been a little bias in my vote, and I will fully admit to that. Um, but he, he was one of the top horses on the grounds for a brief shining moment. And then he got some time off in Florida. And from what I understand, he thought racing was nonsense after that. And yeah, as you can see from his record after that, he really never recaptured his glory days. Yeah, dropping down to to, to a uh, you know modest claiming the bottom level. <laughs> um, but fortunately, in a way for you, he was only in the hands of two different people. Uh, I don't know George Sicardo, but you have mentioned that he has been a quote unquote really good guy and was very accommodating for you to come by the barn on a routine basis. George was wonderful, and George treated uh, treated his horses like gold. And the thing that I was most concerned about when uh, Trippy did get claimed away from George uh, at Aqueduct, the whatever year that was, I didn't know Michael Sessi at all, and you just never know. You don't know if if he's going from a good place to a place that maybe isn't as good. So I tracked down his number, and then I proceeded to bother Mike every week for a solid year saying, you know, no matter what, if he's broken, I don't care. I want him when you're done with him. And one day he texted me and said, 
he's all yours. I've actually, I, I know Mike, you know, just a little Mike bit. Is, and he's, he's, he's wonderful very good too. about that. He is. And he's a, he's a one, I mean, he gave me this horse stone sound. That's awesome. He, so you, what was that feeling like when you got that, that call from Mike to say that he's all yours? Well, it wasn't really a time in my life where I should be buying a horse. And he was my first horse, all of my own. So it was, a, it was a big deal. The whole thing was very exciting. And you read all these stories about people that get horses off the track. And, you know, a week later, they're jumping and trail riding and going and doing. And let me tell you, Trippy, that was not, that was not how it went for us. It was a lot of blood, sweat and tears. So, but, and you had said you, you rode a bit when you were a kid. Were you feeling a little bit overwhelmed or were you just excited when he, when you first got your hands on him? I was excited and I knew pretty quickly that I was going to need some professional help. Um, I'm an okay rider at best. Uh, I'm like the world's most mediocre amateur. And I wanted to give him every chance to be a good citizen in his second career. So what was what was the next port of call? I gave him a year off. Um, I chucked him in a field in Maine and kind of let him let him decompress, let him put, you know, just figure out how to be a horse because he did have a pretty substantial racing career. And then that uh, that following spring, it was time to go to work. I enlisted the help of a trainer and we started seeing what we had. Did you notice a difference in his demeanor, uh, you know, being around him when you first got him off the track or, you know, observing him when he was on the track? And then after that kind of year off of just chilling out, did he did he change a bit? He bit me so badly that first winter he was in Maine, I almost needed stitches. So not necessarily, it took him a while. It took it. It took him. A while, it took him a while to really come around. That um, no, if you're nice, you get more things. Aha! Uh-huh. And was it, so he had this reputation on the racetrack, and it's truly is it truly just his demeanor? Is that just him? It's just him. It's it's just him. So he was apparently a really unpleasant horse to gallop, and that you just had you just had to be patient. Um, you, people, he was the short straw horse that no one really wanted to have to deal with. But I've learned kind of with all these years having him that he's not he's not mean about it. He just needs to you need to convince him that it's his idea, and if you can convince him that something is his idea, he's great. Ah, uh, probably too smart for his own good. I has outsmarted me more on more than one occasion. <laughs> so what's the next, what was the next step then? You, you hire a trainer and did you have her ride him or did you have her work with you whilst on his back? And I mean, how was that whole process? It was a combination. It was a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I would kind of poke as far as I could and, you know, if I'd get in the weeds should help. Um, I was rough boarding him at the time too. So I was in control of all of his care. And I think that was the biggest step into he and I bonding and becoming, um, you know, realizing we were a team and that I, I touched him. You know, I was there for hours every day with my hands on him and letting him kind of figure out how to be a horse in this environment. How do you do that with a full-time job? <laughs> I, mean, I don't, I didn't sleep very much back then. Um, I'd get to the, I mean, you're a racetracker, you know, you just get to the barn really early and then you go do the other things you have to do. It's just, you know, you just fit it all in. Yeah, you do. It's all about the time management. That's but it. Also, 
I know that you had he had a serious setback as far as his health was concerned in contracting Lyme disease. Yes. So um, eventually we kind of got his act together and he turned out to be a really lovely show hunter. And we had you know, little bits of success. He was zone one horse of the year in his division, a reserve horse of the year in his division. So we had, uh, you know, little, little glimmers of, you know, real brilliance. And he was still hard um, and had quite a stop when he, when he wanted one. But, you know, we had, we started having a lot of fun. And then he came up lame when we were in Vermont horse showing. And I sent him for an MRI and it turned out he had navicular and a deep digital flexor tendon strain, which was disappointing. But I made the decision at that point that, you know, his showing career was over. And, you know, I'd rehab him and would go back to flatting and just kind of bop around for the rest of our life. Then I had him kind of, you know, I did all of the treatments uh, recommended by my vet to, you know, get him back sound, corrective shoeing and so forth. And then he, I get him sound for about a month or two. And then on his birthday, which is March 18th, I got to the barn. I was rough boarding him at this point too. And I thought we were in the bad place. I thought it was it. He was, he was in a bad way um, with, uh, with laminitis. So that kind of started a six week where every day, you know, was it was today the day or was, you know, could we get through another day of you know, icing and medication and that balance of how much is too much. Um, and nothing we were doing was getting his feet cold. And, you know, we took x-rays and there was no trauma or anything. They just wouldn't get cold. Um, so finally, we pulled blood and it uh, turned out he was having a lot, another Lyme relapse. He had had Lyme before, not that seriously. Wow. So, so treating him for the Lyme disease, the relapse this time around, did that cure everything that was ailing him? Yeah, that got the, I mean, that, that was able, we were able to get his feet cold and stop all of that. Um, but it was when I, when I tell you, I mean, I called my vet, I think every morning in tears, um, because when you're so far in it, when it, you know, when you see them in that much pain and you don't know if you're pushing too hard or if you should, you know, let, it's a really, it was a tough, it was a tough six weeks. It's at that point that you always wish that they could talk. I mean, that, is it just, I mean, for you personally, was it just listening to your, your gut instinct that he could get through this and finding the right avenues of you know therapy would help him? My, I, I give my vet, uh, Dr. Sheen, actually all the credit. I wanted to put him down. I couldn't see outside of it. Um, I, I, was because I was there, I mean, just for hours and hours a day at that point, you know, icing and wrapping and packing and uh, medicating. And I just, I didn't see any way we could get, get through it. And every day he'd be like, today's not the day. Just, you know, stay calm, do the things where, you know, we'll get there. And and he was right. Wow. Um. T- so you got through it. We got through it. And I didn't think it'd ever be rideable again. And he didn't have to be, I mean, he doesn't owe me anything in the world. And uh, I moved him to a different farm with all day turnout, figuring, you know, if you're not going to be rideable, go outside and just kind of enjoy being a horse. But little by little, he got he got OK. And we're we're back fully flatting. That's amazing. And you also I see that you ride him in a hackmore. Um, where did that come about? I mean, that's brave considering his track record. <laughs> I also ride him entirely bridleless. Wow. Which is nonsense. I'm too old to be doing to be doing things like that. Um, so for him, he's just really fussy and 
he has uh, some weird old pole injury. So sometimes a bridle just doesn't sit properly on his head. It just makes him uncomfortable. So sometimes we switch to a hack, a hack more because the one I have is a little more padded. Sometimes we just go bridleless. Sometimes we go bitless. It's just with him, it's what I, every day is a new day. Um, it, whatever he comes up with will make him happiest that day. And what was the training like to, to get him to be able to be ridden bridleless? Uh, this is terrible. And my trainer was horrified. One day I just took his bridle off and said, let's see what happens. Oh God. I mean, she had pretty much washed her hands of, of, of me at that point. I was just, I, I was like, well, well, what's the worst thing can happen? Where's he going to go? She was like, I'm not dealing with you in an ambulance right now. Right. <laughs> but that's, I mean, I've, I, because I've had him for God, almost 14 years now, um, or I've, I've known him for 14 years. I've had him for 10 years. I know him better than, I know him better than I know my husband, to be honest with you. Like I can tell uh, we, we are just very into him. We're like an old married couple at this point. Is he like your best friend too? Absolutely. 1000%. Um, I'm not, I don't feel good about myself my day until I go see him. And you see him every single day. Yes. I'm entirely codependent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> If only you could get him a cell phone. I mean, I don't, he every time I see him, he looks at me. He's like, "You're here again. Why? Go! Don't you have a family? Leave me alone, woman." Yeah. Um, so he kind of opened the door for you to also adopt another horse, and that's yes. sound. Give us a little bit of you know insight on how that all came to be. So Puget Sound. I mean, he started his career obviously with some really high aspirations for Godolphin and. Pedigree does only take you so far in life, and it didn't really pan out for him. Um, he wound up at Suffolk as a nice allowance horse in like 2014 for Jay Bernardini, uh, who was a friend of mine. So I would always go visit Jay's horses, and I Puget Sound. How do you not like this horse? He's by AP and D out of Boleto, and I was just starstruck by him. And it, he's a really cool, big, beautiful, nice horse. So I kept track of him once he left Suffolk and kept getting claimed away. When the world was starting to shut down in March. Uh, I had a chance to take him and I, and I, and I chose to not really knowing what was going to come off the trailer and not having any aspirations for what he's going to be able to be as a riding horse. And what has he shown you? What, when he got off the trailer till now? Well, he came off the trailer, you know, with, with fungus needing a little groceries and with um, an ankle that's going to limit him from any sort of performance career uh-huh. and also EPM. Whoa. So that, that's a long list. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we had a summer of kind of just getting him, you know, putting the pieces back together, and we started him under saddle a little bit. He, you know, he's he's limited, um, but he's happy to have what he thinks is a job, which is you know, you bring him in, you brush him, you put some tack on, you go walk around, maybe trot a couple of laps, and yeah, you know, he's happy to do it. How rewarding for you is it to, you know, have this horse that wasn't in the best of shapes when he came to you and see him now as a happy horse? And like you said, he's one that wants a job and is able to fulfill that job. I mean, how rewarding for you is that? It's every good thing in my life has come from horses and has come from the horse racing industry. And this horse doesn't owe anybody anything. He raced 80 something times. He made a lot of people a lot of money and was a you know useful blue collar horse, even though he didn't live up to the grade one ambitions of his pedigree. You know, he deserves a soft landing, whatever that looks like for him. 
So as far as you, are there, I mean, you said both of them are pretty much just are, are flat horses. They're freeloaders at this point. They're freeloaders. There's no showing or anything like that in their future. No, no. I mean, Trippy and I maybe will do a dressage show this, this summer. Who knows? Um, we did get to do some of the new vocations, virtual horse shows, which were, they were really cool. So wait, a virtual horse show. I missed this. How did, oh, it was really that? fun. You, you, you get to do it. You got to do it from home. It was su- It was like the best part of the pandemic. <laughs> because you can just re-record when it goes really badly. <laughs> you get to do the redo button. Yeah, there was a lot of redo button. Did you use that really like cool uh, technology they have where that the thing, the camera or whatever just follows you? Uh, no, I made my I made my friend stand in the middle of the ring and I'm wow. like, make me look good. Make it. <laughs> um, so how so how old is Trippy now? He will be 17 this month. And that's I mean, that's getting up there. So yeah. is he a horse that you feel as though he's more happy doing something every day? Or do you feel as though he is one that you are just going to be like, you know what, you can just be a pasture, pasture ornament? I think they all like routine. Um, so I, 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 like, I think for him, you know, he's happiest with there's, when there's some kind of structure in his life. So if the extent of his job is, you know, again, that he comes in, he gets brushed and we go for a walk, that's, that's also okay. So Trippy, is he a horse that I've read several things from you that a lot of his old connections say, how did you take this horse? How are you? So what is it like for you to hear them? And these are, you know, trainers and jockeys that have had a lot of success say how difficult he is. And you've been able to tame the lion, tame the beast, so to speak. You know, and it's not because I'm an extraordinary rider. Um, well, you know, my, my skill set is it is it is absolutely what it is. And but I think it, I think I listened. I've listened to him all of these years. And I think it's really easy to think a horse's bad behavior is just that they're a jerk. And he has shown me time and time again that they only speak as loud as they have to for us to listen. And, you know, many of the times when he's being really terrible, it's because something's bothering him, you know, whether his feet hurt or, you know, he has, he's a little ulcery or whatever. He is a horse that needs kind of really to be held together. Um, so they speak as loud as they have to. Yeah. I'll never forget my first, my first horse that we took off the track and he, he spoke very loudly. Um, <laughs> he was very expressive. And I remember the, like the first saddle I had from, uh, didn't fit him as well. And we should have gone through that avenue of having him professionally fitted and everything and, uh, started to pinch him. And he, as soon as you got up on him, it was just explosions, like literally all four off the ground. Nice. And so we had nice. to, you know, we had to listen and learn and, make sure everything fitted him perfectly and do it his own way and make sure his back was, was right. Uh, so it, it's, it's very true that you really have to listen to them. Yeah. It's been the greatest lesson I've learned from him, honestly, uh, that I've kind of taken as a horse, horsewoman and a rider into other situations is, um, you know, you can't take it personally when they're, when they're not doing what you'd like them to do. They don't have the, the planning to wake up one day and say, today I'm going to be terrible. No, they don't. Um, that That's very well said. But I also, and you kind of actually answered one of the questions I already had lined up with my short answer session. <laughs> um, but so 
Now, I think I already know the answer to what Trippy's favorite treat slash snack is, but I'm going to let you tell me. So, so what is it? I mean, the Pop-Tarts are really high on the list, but Sour Patch Kids are also one of his favorites, which is kind of him in candy form where he's kind of sour and grouchy on the outside, but really sweet deep down. I love that. He never he never gets an upset tummy from that stuff? That that stuff doesn't bother him, no. But if the temperature changes 30 degrees, God yeah. forbid, you know, this is <laughs> the world is ending. Yes. That oh God, he always dreads <laughs> the seasons. Uh give him a gash regard if you when you look at the That's weather. where I'm on my way to do what what I'm doing when I leave when I leave this interview is to go give him his tummy stuff and make sure everything's fine in his little world. <laughs> oh, trippy. Well, Okay, well, let's pretend he's a he's a human. And if you two were sitting down to have a drink together, what would his beverage of choice be? Oh God! Um, oh, that's a great that's a great question. Like, I feel like he'd be doing cheap shots. Like, really, really. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like, not even fireball. Like. What? And pressuring you to do them too. And then and then when you guys get in trouble, he blames you. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so <laughs> then when the night really progresses, what is his karaoke song or what like is his theme song? Oh God. Uh, I mean, born to be I that's a that's a great question. It's funny you mentioned music, though. When we were rehabbing one of his many, many things, I would always play music um, for our tap walking because I would get so bored. And there were certain songs that he found very upsetting. Like, I, I'm a, I'm a, oh, like an old punk kid uh-huh. and like emo and all that stuff. He hates Yellow Card. Just hates it. I, I like Trippy. I, I tried to listen to that stuff when I was like younger because it was like the popular thing. I mean, what you you were born in mid eighties, right? Yeah, we're about the same age. Yeah, I, exactly. I think, give or take. So, I always try to be cool and listen to that stuff, and then like I realized, I'm like, this just isn't for me. So I feel like <laughs> Trippy. I feel you. Um, but uh, so, but is there like a song that he did like, or genre? There is- there is this one song by Bayside um, that that he that always will always make me think of. Actually, there's a song by Augustana. This is actually this is hokey, and I don't believe I'm admitting this to where like where people could listen to this. Uh, it's called "Shot in the Dark," and I would always play it for he and I before we went into the horse show ring um, because that's often how I felt about our our chances. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you got to get something to hype you. Yeah. That would be how I'd pump us up before before a round. It's taking a shot in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. So as far as Trippy, um, what is his – what's his favorite thing to do with you? He really does like the beach. He, uh, for as difficult as he can be about certain things, the beach he finds to be great fun. And we're lucky where we are. We're about 10 minutes from the ocean. So it's a really easy, you know, pops them in the trailer and go in the morning. Where are you in Massachusetts, right? Yep. I'm on the North shore. So I'm, um, kind of like a coastal, coastal New England. That is so cool. Come visit, come, come visit. We'll ride on the beach. Yes. All right. I'm down. I'm, I might take you up on that. Please do. So you just, you can't walk him. Do you trailer him over there? Yeah, um, uh, a friend of mine goes a lot with her off the track thoroughbreds too. So we will usually just toss a couple in the trailer and, you know, hope everyone decides that they want to cooperate today. (laughs) 
Have we ever had non-cooperative days? Trippy doesn't like the ocean. He likes the beach. Okay, so he won't go in the ocean. Will not. Abjectly will not get his little feetsies wet. <laughs> I need a life vest, he says. Yeah. <laughs> he also won't walk through puddles in, in general life. So I wasn't surprised by his aversion right. to the ocean. Right. Um, so what's his, I mean, I'm sure there there might be a list, but what's his number one dislike? Uh, I mean, I think me most days. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that really, I mean, that's a long, that's a long list. Um, yeah. I mean, ground poles probably are, is his least favorite thing. For a horse that competed in the three foot hunters, if you ask him to trot over a ground pole, he will act like, I mean, he will not, will not, will not do a ground pole. I did read your, which was a lovely uh, article that Jen Royce wrote uh, a couple a couple years Jen's ago. Jen's the best. Yeah, and she, she, she is the best. And everything she does for off-track thoroughbreds needs to be commended. But uh, I did enjoy reading that piece that she wrote about you and Trippy and, and the ground poles. The ground poles, yeah. I, and no one realizes how weird he is about them. And then I let them ride him and we're like, oh, you know, just, just try trotting over to the ground pole. And no, no. That they, I think everyone thinks it's me, and then they get get on, and it's just that's just a thing. So, but jumping is not a problem, or wasn't a problem, I should say. If he was in the mood to, I mean, he he definitely had a stop, but it wasn't that was that was a you know if the stars weren't aligned in his day that day, that was you know you could tell the second you got on whether you were going to complete your round or not. Boy, <laughs> no wait, which was really fun at nice shows. <laughs> yeah, I. That's why I stuck to dressage most of my life. But anyway, so <laughs> did you did you do the real rider cut twice? It's been twice. the most fun thing I've I've ever done. Now, did you ride Trippy in it or no? No. Oh, good lord, no. No, I got around. Thankfully, you're not um, as dumb as I am. When I tried to ride Tiger, <laughs> who was a track pony, and had but you guys gave it such a good shot. I. And it was raining. You had everything against you that day. I did. And he popped a splint. Um, oh, no. Whilst at the show. So that was fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was just like laugh crying the entire way around there. And it was so funny because I decided I was going to do this. And I took him back out to the farm that I had him at originally when I first when I first retired him from an injury and I, you know, kind of legged him up there and he was there for nine months. So I took him back out there and he was there for two weeks and I had my friend Elizabeth helping me. And, you know, she set up a couple courses for me and she was like, don't worry, they're not going to be any bigger than this. And I get there, we walk the course and I was like, oh no. Oh yeah. They, they, they made them a little kinder for like the next couple of years. Um, cause like yeah. I was, I was looking at the rounds from your, the year you did it and I was having like heart palpitations about it. Yeah. I was so, so pooing my pants. I mean, so I'm, I'm a weenie. I, and when I went to try the horse I rode for the first year, um, US, US, UMC Marine, who was, uh, was oh, yeah. like, uh, he was just awesome but leah and i are out in, in the field when i'm trying him she's like oh just go jump those jumps i'm like what jumps excuse me what what jumps they were cross-country jumps i'm like you do understand that i don't usually leave a ring right? <laughs> uh, so i jumped them with my eyes closed the entire time and he, that horse is a saint oh uh, some of them are so great i mean i so i went hunting in england and you know you you 
rent a horse, basically. And my brother-in-law had arranged it all. And he said, don't worry, you have um, latte. And latte is great. And he showed me pictures and everything like that. And latte was a gray, almost white horse. So I go and I meet the the lady. My husband just dropped me off on the side of the road because that's a <laughs> horse. And I am like, oh, where's Latte? She's like, oh, no, no, you have Birdie. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you jump on this horse. You have to walk down these roads like a mile to get to where the meat is. I'm like, I have no idea. But what I – like, I looked at him and I was like – you have a very intelligent head and kind eye, and I'm going to hope for the best. And I pointed him at – and that – I mean, I did the same. I just closed my eyes and he just, yeah, just failed. I was like, I love thoughts, you. And pr- thoughts and prayers. It's fine. <laughs> but, okay, I digress. As you – for Trippy, you already said, you know, he taught you just to listen. And I do think that's one of the most important lessons that – horses and off-track thoroughbreds can teach us. So for you to sum up Trippy in three words, what would they be? My ultimate souvenir. My ultimate souvenir. Wow. Well done. There's a lot of syllables in there. I had to check you. (laughs) (laughs) I counted it in my head. (laughs) That is really cool. That, I, I mean, that's kind of thinking outside the box. And for you, has it been kind of coming full circle when you grew up, that girl who was just in love with horses, and as you said, you know, horse racing kind of afforded you all these amazing opportunities. Oh, it's yeah, I can never give enough back. There'll there'll never be enough that I can do to, um, you know, give back to the horses for what they've done for me. That's really cool. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for your time and sharing Trippy's story. I mean, he just sounds like such a character. <laughs> I think you'd really get a kick out of him. everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Off Track. As you could probably tell, I had a lot of fun chatting with Jessica about what a trippy. And what I've learned by doing these now is that racing brings everyone together, but at the heart of that passion is always the horse. And hearing everybody's stories just makes me feel so rewarded for doing these and to know that there's a lot of good people out there caring for these horses. So if any of you who are listening have some great stories about horses that you've taken off the track and have retired and whether they've gone on to second careers successfully or they're just hanging out uh, in front of your house, uh, I'd love to hear them. So feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or uh, Facebook. And as always, if you want to help the horses out, make sure you check out trfinc.org slash off track to make a small gift to the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation.